This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Greg Hancock gets hot, rocks and rolls again, and we talk about shopping for cycles. All this and more on this episode of the Power Sports Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Power Sports Podcast. I am Jason Baffrey, joined with Eric Colvin. And uh, Eric, how are you today? Doing good. And yourself? I'm doing fantastic. It was a big weekend of racing, uh, two wheels, four wheels, you name it. It was all going on, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that we saw this weekend. Plus, we're going to get in-depth into buying a new or possibly used motorcycle in this edition and uh, eric's going to bring his expertise and uh, i'll bring what little expertise i have um, and we'll uh, we'll try to help you out if you're looking for a new bike but let's talk a little bit about some straight line racing this weekend the nhra was at norwalk ohio summit motorsports park for the summit racing equipment nationals uh talking first about the two wheels it was an all harley final and eddie craywick came out on top over his teammate andrew hines but the uh, big story as far as I'm concerned, coming out of the NHRA this weekend, Ron Caps took another win in Funny Car, his Napa Funny Car, uh, the Don Schumacher Racing Team, and Caps picked up his fourth win of 2016. And the really cool part about that is that now ties him for 11th on the all-time Funny Car wins list with... You guessed it, Don the Snake Prudhomme, who Ron Caps used to drive for uh, back in the uh, the early days of his funny car career. And I got to say, it's really cool to see Ron on a winning streak. Uh, he is leading the points. And if anybody out in funny car right now deserves to win a championship, as far as I'm concerned, it's Ron Caps. He is a uh, a great driver, a great guy, a fan favorite, and he has come close a couple of times and lost out to John Force uh, on a few occasions in the Funny Car Championship, but he is leading the points right now. So if he can hold that into their chase uh, for the championship and uh, hold on to that through the end of the year, man, could Caps get his first championship this year? We'll have to wait and see. And uh, it was Sean Langdon, Caps' Don Schumacher racing teammate, who picked up the top fuel win and the dominance of the KB racing team in Pro Stock as Jason Lyon and his Summit Camaro once again take the win. And the KB racing team has won every race in Pro Stock so far this season as they uh, they all get adapted to the new electronic fuel injection but obviously greg anderson and jason line have got something figured out uh, a little better than everybody else it seems you know with pro stock cars it seems like everything is so close and it's so hard for somebody to pull out a win it's it's absolutely amazing to see a pro stock car team dominate like that yeah and those guys are always tough but since the transition to electronic fuel injection here in 2016. I think they, I don't know if they got a head start on their testing program or what they've done, but man, nobody can touch them right now. The other cool story coming out of the NHRA comes from the Pro Modified category. And if you're a Ford fan, you probably know the name Billy Glidden, as Billy is the son of legendary pro stock racer Bob Glidden, 
Well, Billy has been campaigning Ford Mustangs for years now in the small tire classes, the outlaw categories, and then some pro mod uh, things here and there. But he recently made a move to driving the Precision Turbo house car, which is a Camaro. And so it's a twin turbocharged Camaro that they run. And Billy picked up his first pro modified win of the season and the second of his career uh, this weekend at Norwalk. So congratulations to Billy Glidden, um, hard worker, great racer, not uh, not a guy that's got a lot of publication because he's been running in, in different categories and everything, but to see him get another big win in NHRA, especially with a new team, new combination for him. He's been a nitrous guy for a long time, so running the twin turbocharged setup uh, is a little bit different, but obviously uh, they've got it all figured out, and he's a great driver, so a big win for him. Flat track racing. Flat track was at Lima, Ohio this weekend, Eric, and the Lima half mile. And did you get a chance to watch the race? I got a chance to watch some of it, and it looked like that it was uh, pretty competitive. Looked like that there was a lot of guys that were uh, backing it in in the in the pea gravel. Yeah, there was some really great racing, and uh, new face in the winner's circle here in 2016 is Brandon Robinson took the GNC 1 win, and it was a great race. And it kind of finished up similar to the Oklahoma City Mile in that there was a yellow flag, uh, actually a red flag, uh, with about five laps to go. And so they did another five-lap shootout, but Robinson was able to hold off Jared Meese, who was also promoting the event. And uh, Meese had been running really strong, won his heat race and everything, but could not hold off, uh, get past Brandon Robinson there in the final, in those final five laps. And uh, Mies was second, Brad the Bullet Baker was third, Brian Smith on the Kawasaki was fourth, and then uh, Flying Ryan Wells took the GNC2 win, but the the big news coming out of the weekend is that Davis Fisher crashed um, as they were coming out kind of on the, the hot lap for uh, his heat races. They were coming out for the, uh, the siding lap, and I didn't see it happen, but I did see some pictures online um, later, and man, he flipped the thing over, it looks like, and he got hurt, and I think he said he he has a broken wrist, if I'm not mistaken, Um, but he's going to be out, but then they have a, like, six weeks off before the next race, so he should be able to get healed up, but a tough break for Davis Fisher and the new XG750 from Harley. It seems odd, uh, that kind of accident, like, a non-racing accident. Yeah, it really was strange. Uh, and like I said, I didn't exactly see what happened. And it was, uh, I was watching the, the fanschoice.tv coverage and basically they, he, he went out and then they showed him and he was down and they were pushing the bike off. And it was like, you know, Davis Fisher is not going to make it. And it was kind of bizarre, but uh, he I saw put, the same deal. It, it was just odd that he would come out uh, for, a, like you said, for a parade lap and uh, take a warm up lap and come around and get to the line and get in your grid spot and he was down yeah he he never even made it around the track uh, a full lap there so uh, we hope that he gets well soon and he's able to get back out uh, in time for the next event um, when it comes around in uh, <laughs> i like to talk about speedway grand prix racing because i just love it so much and it's probably not going to help our our outstanding ratings that we're getting here on the Power Sports Podcast. But I've got to talk about this because uh, we have one American competing in Speedway GP, and that's three-time world champion Greg Hancock. And he had a stellar event uh, in Czechoslovakia over the weekend, uh, or I'm sorry, the Czech Czech Republic. 
And um, man, he was just outstanding. He won four heat races and was third in the other, uh, went into the semifinal with the gate pick. He picked the inside lane, dominated his semifinal, and went to the final and had the gate pick there. Uh, and then something went wrong, and he finished second in the final round to Australian Jason Doyle, who got his first win of the season. Uh, but Hancock had just a great race and comes out of the weekend with the points lead in Speedway Grand Prix racing. You know, growing up, uh, if you'll remember, the American presence was really huge in Europe, not just with Speedway, but with motocross and and road racing even. Mm-hmm. And now we have so few Americans over there. It's great to see Greg Hancock, especially at his age, still highly competitive and still winning races and possibly win championships. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, if you if you like flat track racing or just something cool and different and, and great excitement, watch the Speedway GP and follow Greg Hancock. Um, like I said, he's a three-time world champion over there, and we don't hear about him a lot in the United States unless you specifically follow speedway racing. But uh, it's really cool to see how those events go, and it's almost like watching a uh, soccer-slash-football, European football match with the excitement that the crowd has. Uh, and so, and then you do see some of the Star-Spangled Banner flying over there, and so he's got some supporters over in, in Europe. Uh, but it's a really cool deal in the way they run the races. But just a great weekend for Greg Hancock, and uh, unfortunate that he couldn't pull off the the overall win, but he does come out with the points lead. He's got 56 points over uh, Ty Woffenden, who's at 48. Ty Woffenden to the defending Speedway Grand Prix champion. Uh, Chris Holder is in third. Jason Doyle now is in fourth. And uh, uh, Magic Janowski is uh, in fifth place in the points of Speedway GP. If you like dirt track at all, give Speedway a try. It's very fast, only four laps to the race. Uh, there are a lot of heats, depending on how you finish, is how many points that you get. Everybody's trying to, to get to 35 points or 40 points, and they give so many points for first and usually no points for fourth. Um, a lot of heat races, a lot of action. Uh, the bikes are very unique, no gears and no brakes on those motorcycles uh, run pure methanol and make a lot of horsepower for something that probably doesn't weigh much more than your kid's mini bike yeah yeah lots of fun uh let's talk a little bit about the uh, pro motocross that took place this weekend they were in uh, tennessee over the weekend uh, not just a lot to talk about because, once again, it was Ken Roxon going 1-1 in the motos in the 450 category. He did get a little bit more of a challenge from Eli Tomac in the Kawasaki this weekend. Tomac goes 2-2 to finish second overall. Brock Tickle finished third overall. So uh, there's a name you haven't heard on the podium in quite a while. Uh, Brock went 6-3. Uh, to get on the podium, and then Honda's Cole Seeley was fourth overall with a 3-6, and KTM's Marvin Muscan was fifth, going 7-4, and another European racer, Christoph Purcell, on the Husqvarna, finished up sixth overall. Uh, so a good weekend for those guys. But, man, Ken Roxon once again, 1-1. That means there is only one moto out of the 2016 outdoor motocross season that he has not won, and that was because of a mechanical failure. This guy is on a roll. He's digging hard, 
the team is really working hard to prep the motorcycles for him um, he's doing a lot of training paying a lot of attention to uh, motorcycle setup and it's it's really showing the guy is really dominant right now and it's been a long time since we've had such a, a dominant force in american motor outdoor motocross yeah and did i say did i say tennessee they were in north carolina north because carolina. because cooper webb uh won his hometown race and cooper webb uh, took the overall win in 250 uh, Joey Savacci finished second. Webb was 2-1 on the motos. Savacci was 2-7 on the motos, so not a great finish in moto number two for him. And Shane McElrath finished third on the podium uh, with a 5-2 score. Zach Osborne, who we talked about last week, who had such a great race and won his first outdoor moto uh, in his career last week, went 3-10 to finish sixth overall. And the rookie, uh, running for the Pro Circuit Kawasaki team, Austin Forkner finished seventh overall, and uh, he keeps sneaking into the top ten and having some great results for a rookie effort uh, for Austin Forkner. That guy is really going to go somewhere. Um, he really rides hard. Uh, he truly tries, and he keeps improving every single time he goes and races. Yeah, so it'll be fun to watch him as he uh, as he progresses through the ranks here. A uh, couple of other quick things, talking about getting into some four-wheel action. We didn't get a chance to talk about the 24-hour of Le Mans, uh, which took place a week ago, but that was a great event, and the big story out of that was the return of Ford to Victory Lane with the Ford GTs, and it was the first time since 1968 I believe that the Fords had uh, been in the Winter Circle and the Chip, Chip Ganassi Racing Team. And how cool is it to see the return of the Ford GT to the 24-hour of Le Mans? It is very cool, and it's really good to see an American manufacturer on the top box over there. Yeah, so some great racing there. Other great racing that took place this, this previous weekend was the uh, Pikes Peak International Hill Climb and uh, Romain Dumas from France was the overall winner in the unlimited category. He finished with a time of 8.51.445, and uh, Reese Millen finished second with an 8.57. And the the thing that's interesting about the results from the Pikes Peak Hill Climb to me was the amount of electric-powered vehicles uh, that finished. I mean, they really had some quick times, like uh, three out of the top five, I believe, were electric vehicles. The electric vehicle is becoming a huge presence in all forms of racing now. It's, it's here to stay, and uh, racing is probably the best form of development that that type of electric-powered vehicle has. And uh, speaking of, uh, Jeremy Toyer, or Toy, do you know Jeremy's pronunciation of Jeremy's last name? Um, it writes for Cycle World, I believe, and he was riding the um, Victory electric bike and uh, finished, I think, second overall in, uh, in the motorcycle categories of the Pikes Peak. The motorcycle, electric-powered motorcycle um, from Victory, um, there's also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there's another company that uh, is Alta, is also building a new type of motorcycle. Um, it was interesting to see that, the development of that motorcycle, and here's something that that electric-powered motorcycle has over the internal combustion engine is it runs just as good at the bottom as it does at the top. Yeah, well, that's the thing about the electric vehicles is the amount of torque they can produce. Huge amounts of torque, instant torque, and as long as the battery supply, the voltage in the batteries are stable, 
there's not an altitude challenge with the with the engine anymore yeah it's not like you have to tune the carburetor no and a lot of the struggles with the fuel injected uh, vehicles and in the past with carbureted uh, vehicles is that you had to pick you want it to run good at the top or you want it to get, run good at the bottom or the mapping for the injected vehicles but with the electric vehicle we just need to make sure we have plenty of power in the bank and we turn the throttle on or mash the pedal down and away we go all right so i had all of everything that i've just told you was completely wrong so i'm sitting here <laughs> it was don canette uh, who was riding the Victory electric bike. Jeremy uh, Toye was on the Project 156 Victory bike, which was built by Roland Sands, Sands. Design. So I got my names crossed up with my bikes there. But uh, both of them did very well in the overall standings and uh, specifically in the motorcycle standings. So a good weekend for Victory motorcycles at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Um, something else that we had mentioned previously is that former NHRA Pro Stock motorcycle racer Stephanie Reeves was going to be driving a car at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Uh, she she did great. She finished... Um, um, I just lost it. I'm looking at the – oh, she finished 29th overall, but I believe second in the her particular class, which was Time Attack 2 production. She was driving a Dodge Viper. Uh, so a great weekend for Stephanie on the Pikes Peak. I'd like to see the Viper actually not go out of production. I don't know if you've heard, but – that car is going to go out of production yet again with Chrysler. Yeah, well, I wonder if they're just going to uh, put it put it to rest for a while and bring it back, kind of like they did last time. I'm not sure. There's a lot of hush hush on that entire subject, but it is nice to see that the Viper finishes well and in the hands of somebody that actually isn't known for for driving cars. Yeah. So great weekend for Stephanie Reeves. All right, Eric, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about buying a motorcycle. So if I want to go out and I don't have a bike right now and uh, and buy a new bike, or do I want to buy a used bike? And what kind of motorcycle should I be looking for? Should I be looking new? New? Should I be looking used? Should I be looking for a Japanese brand, a European brand, an American-made brand? I mean, I'm kind of an American guy, but Harleys are a little expensive. Is that the way to go when I go with a first bike, or what do I? need to do well first of all let's be realistic about the budget that we have to spend and that probably will help you decide whether you're going to buy a new bike or buy a used motorcycle the next thing i would look at is the style of motorcycle what are we going to do with this motorcycle are we just going to ride to a bike night with the friends kind of deal we're actually going to ride this to work ride this on weekends um, are we looking for something that is dual purpose, which is a big thing now, the adventure tour riding kind of motorcycles? Mm -hmm. And explain what that means for people that may not know. An adventure tour bike, uh, if you want to look some of them up, are the GS models from BMW, the adventure models from KTM. They are a very big dual purpose on and off road motorcycle not a motocrosser by any sense of the word but they do have huge amounts of off-road capability so you can ride the motorcycle on the highway very easily go anywhere you want to go interstate wise when you get there if you want to explore a lot of people like to go to let's pick colorado so they ride to colorado let's say you've ridden a big tour bike to colorado but there are a lot of really neat fire roads and maintenance roads and logging roads old logging roads i don't think they log much in colorado anymore but even a lot of the the ski 
access roads. You want to go exploring. It's a little difficult to do that on a big FL or a big going. Yeah. Uh, next, I would look at size. And I see this at my shop a lot. A lot of people decide they want a motorcycle. They buy too small. They buy something that is very little CC wise convinced that it's going to take them a long time to get used to riding a motorcycle. And the fact of the matter is that in less than three or four months, they don't like the little motorcycle anymore and they're wanting something bigger. And in selling the little motorcycles, it's very difficult most of the time to sell a small CC motorcycle. Yeah. Um, Cause anybody that's ridden for any, any notable amount of time is not going to want a small CC motorcycle unless they're buying it for a teenager or perhaps a wife or something like that. But even a lot of the ladies I know are riding big bikes now. Now I know some people who have actually started out on scooters and then moved up to a motorcycle. Um, you know, and I suppose that's one way to go. But uh, uh, with the different types, I mean, if you're a first-time rider, you're not going to want to want to go out and buy a full-dress Harley Davidson necessarily, right? I wouldn't think so. I would, I would guess that a mid-size motorcycle that fits you well. I encourage anybody that's looking to buy a motorcycle to at least go to the different dealerships in your area and set on the motorcycles and see which one actually fits you well. Are the handlebars too far away? The foot pegs too far away? Is the seat height too high? Is the bike a little on the heavy side for you? Uh, Some people like the looks of a particular motorcycle through a magazine or online. They go and buy the motorcycle only to find that it's a little top-heavy for them. The weight's a little high in the bike. They struggle with that. The seat height is a little tall. A lot of times people are anxious and very energetic about buying this new motorcycle, whether it be new or it be used. Mm -hmm. And they overlook, in the excitement of buying the motorcycle, they overlook a lot of things that are important, like stability with the motorcycle when it's not moving. Right. Yeah, and seat height will will come into play with that. Uh, You know, you want to be able to get both feet on the ground or make sure you have both feet on the ground because obviously when you come to a stoplight or stop sign, you're going to have to put a foot, if not both feet down. Um, You know, so you don't want to get a bike that's too tall. Now, I assume you could make some uh, suspension adjustments, but if you're buying a brand new motorcycle, you don't necessarily want to have to go out and start working on it immediately to get it to fit you. You want to get something that's going to fit you right when you get started. Uh, and as we've kind of talked about, the cubic inch of the motor isn't the isn't the key there. It's the the way that it feels when you sit on it, and making sure you can reach all of the controls on the handlebars and all the controls with your feet plus the ground. Another issue that people run into is they have a horsepower hangup, and the way that the motor develops power depending on how you're going to use the motorcycle is more important just because a magazine somewhere says this motorcycle is the fastest or it makes the most horsepower doesn't necessarily mean that it's user-friendly or it's rider-friendly by any sense of the word. You may be interested in a particular kind of motorcycle. Maybe you you want to have a Harley. You love the heritage of a Harley-Davidson. You like the biker. You've been watching Sons of Anarchy and you want to have a Harley and feel like you're uh, a real live biker. Um, 
maybe you like motorcycle racing. You watch MotoGP, so you want to find something that looks like a race bike. You want a sport bike. Uh, th- that would be the biggest thing that I could see that could present a problem is is a sport bike, getting into a sport bike scene, because those things produce horsepower differently than, say, a cruiser does. And certainly you don't want to go out and be a first-time rider and buy a Kawasaki Ninja or a Yamaha R1 and hop on there and go, hey, well, here we go, because those bikes will get away from you in a hurry. They will. Those motorcycles are very aggressive, and their riding position is very aggressive. I would suggest, instead of buying a ZX motorcycle uh, first time out, there are a lot of other bikes out there that offer a performance ride, an enhanced ride, but you don't lay down on the motorcycle like a sport bike. It's more of an upright ride. Uh, The Ducati Monster is an excellent choice for somebody that's interested in a performance ride where your feet aren't tucked up underneath you and it doesn't have clip-on bars where you're bent over. Now, on the other side of this coin, we have the Cruiser, which usually your feet are way out in front of you and uh, the handlebars are pulled back. It's like riding on a Barca lounger, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are not happy with their with their power development. It's a little bit lazy, but those motorcycles are designed to develop really smooth horsepower, very smooth torque. And they're not designed for cornering really fast. They are just a simple pleasure ride. Get out of town or in town, lay back, look at the scenery, and enjoy riding the motorcycle. So we're back again to... What is it that we want to do with this motorcycle? Obviously, unless you have a garage full, you can't do every single thing that is capable uh, in the motorcycle market. But if you will be realistic with your riding ability and with your wants and desires, do your research on the web. Look at the different riding positions of these motorcycles, uh, I think that you'll come across with something that you'll be happy with. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the the financial investment, um, and especially when we're looking at Harley-Davidson compared to uh, other types of cruisers out there, because uh, Harley-Davidson builds a very nice motorcycle. Um, they have done an incredible job with their marketing. They have all kind uh, over 100 years of heritage, um, a lot of people, if you're into the cruiser scene, you want a Harley Davidson, but there are some other good, well-made motorcycles produced from other manufacturers, both American and non-American, um, that you can get an equally well-designed, well-balanced motorcycle for a considerable amount less, correct? Very correct. Honda makes a very nice motorcycle, uh, for just riding. The VTX is a very nice, very durable motorcycle. Uh, Yamaha has the Star line of motorcycles. It's a huge selection in the Yamaha lineup. Um, But uh, Indian now, we've talked a lot about Indian. Indian makes a, a nice selection of motorcycles that are very comparable to anything out that's out there. Yeah. And, and I would also point out Victory is is another brand, and both Victory and Indian are now owned by Polaris, but they are both an American-made motorcycle. They are made with American parts, uh, built in America, 
And so if you're going for, well, well, Harley's the only American-made motorcycle out there. Well, that's not necessarily correct. They've, again, done a great job marketing, um, but that's not necessarily the, the facts. And price comparison in Indian and or a victory compared to a Harley-Davidson, you can get a fantastic motorcycle for less money. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Harley-Davidson because I would love to go out and buy a new Harley. Uh, there, well, there's about 10 motorcycles I'd like to have uh, of various brands because I like them all. But if you want something that looks like a Harley, sounds like a Harley, uh, but you're not that committed to it necessarily being a Harley, you can find a good motorcycle. And like Eric said, it can be a Honda or a Yamaha. Kawasaki also makes some nice cruisers. Uh, or you can look into the American-made. If that's something that you're keyed up on, that you have to have the American-made motorcycle, look at the Indian, uh, which has made its return and uh, are building some nice bikes, and, and the Victory, which is well-established now. And uh, they've been making you know nice American-made motorcycles for years. And with uh, the design help of Arlen Ness and his sons, they make some beautiful looking motorcycles. Never, never, ever become a single minded brand kind of consumer ever. Motorcycles are like ice cream. There's a lot of different flavors, and you should go out and you should experience those flavors. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the the European makes. Um, I mean, we can talk about Ducati and BMW. Ducati just sounds expensive to me, uh, and I'm more familiar with the Ducatis as in the racing bikes, the 1199s, the 999s, bikes like that. But they make several other types of motorcycles now, too, that may be a good beginner bike or starter bike or entry-level bike or uh, a first-timer bike, correct? The Monster is a really neat starter bike from Ducati, not expensive. Uh, Triumph has some entry-level motorcycles that are worth looking at. Uh, but then so does BMW. BMW actually has a uh, 650 single, and they have an 800 twin. Uh, both of those motorcycles from BMW are not only just for a beginner, but are a nice mid-sized motorcycle for somebody that is an experienced rider or a new rider. Um, if you have ridden in the past, uh, you're looking for something different, I actually like the Triumph Scrambler, and I actually like the Ducati Scrambler. Yeah, the Ducati Scrambler is a really cool-looking uh, new bike that they have, and they have a couple of different variations of that. They even have a, uh, a dirt track version that looks more like a flat track-style motorcycle. And, and the, the street tracker scene, in, and we can, in another show, we'll get more into the customization and uh, the different types of customs that you could do but the street tracker scene is is kind of in right now uh, building street bikes that look like dirt trackers and so you could buy one off the showroom floor from ducati with their uh, scrambler dt i think is what they call it and also you could buy the xr 1200 back to the harley davidson brand yeah. again um, street trackers are are huge right now uh, so are the cafe racers um and if it's if that is the style that you want, there are some manufacturers out there that make that styling possible. There, some of those are available used, and we talked about uh, possibly buying used. The biggest thing that I can think of in the used market is not buying somebody else's problems. Yeah, uh, I see that a lot at my shop. People buy an older motorcycle. They're looking to spend very little money. 
the problem you run into there is the motorcycle has got a lot of problems and by the time that you buy the motorcycle you're not capable of fixing it yourself you have to have a shop fix it you've spent as much or more money if you would have just taken the time to look for a motorcycle that was nice and clean and was running yeah eric that's about all the time that we have for this week's show but uh, i think next week and we can get a little more into detail about buying used some of the things to look for some of the things to stay away from and maybe talk a little bit about vintage motorcycles and what if you're shopping for that what, what do you think about that idea Vintage is always fun. You just need to realize that vintage is old and they have a lot of character. (laughs) All right. So we'll get more into that on our next show. We uh, thank you for taking time to listen to us on the Power Sports Podcast. Uh, You can find us online, of course, at Oklahoma Talking Company. That's oklahomatalking.co. You can listen to all of our shows there. You can also listen to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Power Sports Talk. And please go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash powersportspodcast. For Eric Colvin, I'm Jason Baffrey. We are out of here.